0: Thank you. The Book of Revelations. I know that some people that is a uh, a very touchy subject. Everybody has their own opinions about Revelations, and I know a lot of churches, a lot of ministers, or different people have said, you know, that's a, that's a mysterious book. You you got to be careful reading reading the Book of Revelations, and uh, you know, I heard I heard a guy today I was listening to he said that. Uh, Somebody told him, said, don't read the book of Revelation." said, I know people that read the book of Revelations and died. Well, sorry to tell you, but reading the book of Revelations didn't have nothing to do with them dying. I know people that's read the rest of the Bible and and died, and I know people that hadn't read the Bible at all and died. But um, the book of Revelations, I think a lot of times has been, uh, it's, it's misunderstood, because they they call it a book of mysteries, which uh, even in the title itself, that's not true, because the book of Revelation is the the book of the the revealed knowledge of who Jesus is. It's the book about Jesus Christ. It's not a book of these deep mysteries. Uh, If you just read revelations as it is and then cross reference to different scriptures it tells you to uh, and and trust the Holy Spirit he will explain these things to you and uh you know for any of you out there that are confused about revelations or I, I'm scared to read revelations I, i'm I'm nervous that, that that's a hard book to read well just know in revelations chapter 1 verse 3. It says here, blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it for the time is near. Well, the first thing it said in Revelations 1 verse 3 is blessed is he who reads. Well, you should get ready to read Revelations and you, you pray and say, Holy Spirit, help to reveal what needs to be revealed of this book. Help me to understand it. And I know that as I read it, according to your word, it says I will be blessed if I read it. And I remember the first time I read it, uh, reading the candlesticks and lampstands and all those things, I got so lost, and I was just like, oh, no, I I don't know where this book's going. But that didn't stop me from reading it again and reading it again and reading it again. And uh, the more you read it, the more understanding You get of it to understand that this is is not a book of confusion. It's not a book of some deep, dark mysteries of things that, if you're very smart, you might get to understand. Uh, This is a book for every believer, for every child of God. Revelation is a book for you, and it is a book of blessing. It's a book of hope. Uh, It's a book of victory. Uh, it's not a book of despair. It's not a book of woes and, oh, no, and, uh, you know, poor, pitiful old me, or we barely go make it by. Uh, it, it's not that kind of book, but I think a lot of times that, that it's portrayed as that. But tonight, I want to talk about the the first uh, three chapters, which uh, really focus more on second and third chapter. It's talking to the seven churches. Uh, when Paul was exiled to the Isle of Patmos um, and he had the visitation and he was called up into heaven and God began to show him these things. Jesus gave warnings to the seven churches in Asia Minor, that the small area. and if you study that out, it was actually uh, it was like a mail route or a route where deliveries would be made. So each church was on this route. It kind of made a a U shape. And what you'll see here is these churches got a letter from John. Then they received a letter that John wrote that's from God. So you see that. And then the prophecy uh, of the end times, the things that are coming to pass he said, "You know, there at the end of verse three, for the time is near, meaning the end. So you understand that. And a lot of people they get into these arguments over well, the the first church that had to do with the the first era of the church, the the, the beginning church, and then you go to the next church and it had to do with a time frame, and then the, and so on and so on to to the point that some believe that the seventh church." is the age or dispensation that we're in now. Uh, And you may can look at it that way, but I still believe that if you look at each church, each seven churches, that you can see some similarities in modern day church now. And not only in the church as a whole, but each one of us, you know, the building, and we've talked these things over before, the building itself is not the church. Each one of us individually make up the church. So you can also look at these seven churches and you can examine your own life and compare it to the warnings that's going towards this church to see if you, you see any of those things in your life. Because what God is doing, and I, I thank God so much for his, his grace and his mercy is he's giving us a heads up, he's given us a checklist, and he's also, he's rebuking us, but giving us space to repent and make things right. Because like he said in chapter one, verse three, at the end, the time is near or the end is near. So he wants us to be right and ready for his soon return. And when you start in verse or chapter two, Uh, Jesus is saying here uh, to the first church, starting in chapter two and with verse one, um, he says to the angel of the church of Ephesus, write these things that he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the golden lampstands, I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil, and you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. You have preserved, and you have had patience and labored for my name's sake, and have not become weary. Nonetheless, now here comes the rebuke. I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Now, remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Now, what he's saying here is, I know your works, and seemingly the works are good. Uh, he's, the labor's good. He, you're being patient. Uh, you're calling out those people that are, are false prophets or false apostles. Uh, he he's saying that, and he's talking about you know that in the in the I guess you call it we'll call it the commendation. So each church gets a commendation, a criticism, instruction, and then a promise, and that's each of the seven churches. So the the commendation is that they reject evil, they preserve. And they have patience. Well, churches today, let's look at Ephesus and let's look at some of the churches today. Churches can be doing a lot of things for God. You can be at every church service. You can uh, come early. You can work on the church staff. You can uh, work in, uh, I don't know, uh, uh, food pantries or uh, what they call the, I forget what we what is it? Uh, where they feed the community centers community centers and yeah. uh, community tables where they feed the the homeless and the sh- shut in and things like. You can be doing all these good works, but you can get so busy doing the works that you lose sight of the one you're doing it for. You can lose. You can be so busy in your works and your labor that you forget to spend time with Jesus and time in his word and time in his presence. You know, and I think we can all say at some time or another, I know I can, that I've I've been so church-minded, so ministry-minded, that at times I've gotten so busy with it that I've forgotten to spend time with Jesus. And at any time you get so busy for the work of the ministry that you don't have time for Jesus, then you've got off balance. And you always, you know, if you can't spend time with him, then the works and the ministry that you're doing will end up suffering or will be affected. So I can see that in the modern day church of how, you know, we have all these programs and all these things, but at the end of the day, are we doing it? because we love Jesus or we doing it because it's come to where now we want the pat on the back, the notoriety, uh, we want to be seen. Uh, and, and every church should want to be seen, uh, but there's you should want to be seen, and the reason why is so that you can show Christ to others. Yes, we want our church to grow. We want our, our church sanctuaries to be packed out. We want our children's departments to be packed out but if you're not doing it to draw people to Christ then you're doing it for the wrong reasons and i think sometimes if if we're not careful we we get into a situation like that and we're we're missing the whole focus of it of hey we're doing this because we love Jesus i'm doing this work because Jesus died for me it's it's a my reasonable service like the word says and then he goes on and talks about, you know, having patience. And, you know, that's something that I think we can all work on is having patience with people. Um, you know, and another one is, you know, calling out those that, that are false prophets or false apostles. Uh, we still have that. Yes, you had that in those days because he goes on down in verse six and he talks about the Nicolaitans, if I'm saying that properly, somebody may know a better way, but they were not of God and they were really against the church and they were doing things that, that seemed good, but they had ulterior motives uh, and they were, I guess you would say, using the church and creating an atmosphere like a church, but then going into sinful things with it. Uh, and, you know, sad to say, but there's churches that, that do things like that now. But, you know, also when he talks about, you know, you have lost that first love. It's your love for Christ for no longer being fervent to spend that time with him. Then he goes on and give them the instructions. So he, he's given their commendation. He's bragged on them. Told them what they're doing right. Now he's he's given them their criticism, their their spiritual spanking. And then the instruction is simple. Just do the works of your first love. Do the works that you did at first. So in everything that we do, it needs to be Christ-centered, Christ focused. If your church is gonna grow healthy and be the church God's called it to be, then it has to be Christ-centered. If you uh, want a successful marriage in your life, if you want to take this from a church as a a community and break it down to an individual, if you want a healthy marriage between a man and a woman, it has to be Christ-centered. If you want your children to to grow up and and serve God and understand the things of God, then your home has to be Christ-centered. If you want your finances to prosper and, and and you be able to do things financially and not have to worry about money, then your finances have to be Christ-centered. So everything in your life has to be Christ-centered. And he goes on and he, he tells them that their promise is the tree of life for the church of Ephesians. And you can go back into Genesis, I think, chapters two and three, and, and you can look at that and understand more about the tree of life. We won't go all the way into that for the sake of time. But I think just by looking at that first church, you can see that there's different applications for the, the church of Ephesians. It, he said it was, the on my Bible, the loveless church. So you can see that, yeah, that may have happened back, then, but you can also see now in our current day, in our present time, that there's situations where personally I may have gotten too busy uh, working for God or may just got so busy that I left him out. So I, I need to draw back. I think each one of us could see that. But then you can also see that with churches that may be doing a lot of stuff. But are people's lives being changed? You know, you can you can feed the homeless, you can uh, clothe the homeless, you can give them shelter. But if you're not giving them Jesus, all you're doing is putting a band aid on a wound that that needs more attention than just a band-aid. You see, as a Christian, it's not just my job to help those less unfor- or less fortunate than myself are less fortunate than our community, our church. It's it's one thing just to do that, but my main priority is to give them Jesus, to be Christ-centered, Christ-focused, because if you give them Jesus, now you've given them an avenue. You've given them access to all the promises that are in the Word of God so that they can have favor and God can open doors for them the, for a place to live and get help get them a job. And they can grow in the Word of God. And then they can go out and do the same as has been done to them. And that's how the community or the church itself will grow. Now, moving on to the second church, which is the church in Smyrna, this is what they it called the persecuted church. And starting in verse 9, he says, I know your works. Now notice the first two churches he has started out by I know your works. You see, you ever hear people a lot of times I, I, <laughs> I'm gonna get on my soapbox for a minute but when you have ever went to somebody and you may be guilty of this yourself and maybe you've brought correction to somebody or maybe somebody has brought correction to you and the first statement out of your mouth is, well, God knows my heart. Well, yeah, God knows your heart. And, you know, but most people use that excuse so that you can't uh, brain correction or you can't tell them that, hey, that's not something good. Well, God knows my heart. Well, sure, He does. But if you'll notice to the seven churches, He never started out, and remember, this is Jesus speaking through John. He never said to one church, I know your heart. I know your heart. You're making mistakes, but I know your heart. He said, I know your works. That means he knows the good works. He knows the bad works. He knows the intention behind what you're doing and why you're doing it. Like we said earlier, is it Christ-centered? Is it Christ-focused? Or do you have ulterior motives of why you're doing it? But he said, I know your works, tribulation, and poverty. But you are rich, and I know that the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Verse 10, he says, Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful until death, and I will give you a crown of life. Now, notice with the church of Smyrna, the commendation, what he's telling them they're doing right, is they gracefully bear suffering. They understood that there was persecution. When the early church was formed and it started, the Jews were trying everything they could to shut them down. And they had to suffer persecution. Some people say, yeah, and see right there in verse 9, uh, Jesus himself said that, I I know that you're in poverty, but you are rich. So, so we don't look at poverty uh, when we measure our richness. Well, no, in a way we don't, but then again, in a way we do. And you have to understand here, when you go back and study the historical aspects of this, that during that time, the Jews... We're making it hard for believers, for Christians of the early church, to buy and to sell. Well, if I'm having issues buying and selling, then I'm going to be in a place where my money, my funds have drawn up. But I don't let that keep me down because I understand stand that my true riches are not temporal, meaning of this world, but they are eternal. And you can look at churches today, and there's a lot of churches that uh, I know, myself and my dad were talking about this yesterday. That you know, uh, there's churches that preach a prosperity gospel, and you know, uh, they they just basically they believe that everybody ought to be a millionaire. Well, that's not what God's saying about prosperity. But then you've got people on the other side of the road in the in the other ditch that are saying, Well, God don't want us to have worldly possessions and God doesn't want us to have money. You know, we just we got to scrape by and and just believe God for everything and and soon and very soon he's gonna come get his poor broke children and take us to heaven. You know, so you've got people on both sides in in a ditch on each side that that have caused problems. And, you know, when I look at my riches, yeah, my riches are eternal. But my eternal riches don't help fund the gospel here. It takes finances to fund the gospel. It takes finances to buy the cameras and the microphones and all the equipment that we have purchased here to spread the gospel throughout the world through our social media channels and through the internet. It takes finances to to fund the missionary in India that we have done for over 30 plus years. It takes finances to, to help those in our community that need food and need things done for them. It takes finances to pay the power bills. You can't just, well, no, we're going to be broke and, you know, bless God, brother, we might have power this week, we might not, but we're going to come to church and serve God anyway. No, it takes finances. So God didn't want us broke. God didn't mean here, Jesus wasn't saying here that the poverty was part of what you were just going to have to go through, period. He was. You have to look at the context of this scripture because he goes on and says, I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews, but are not. You see the Jews, then they had a synagogue and they actually, they called it the synagogue um, of the Lord. That's where they met. But actually Jesus turned around and said, no, it's not a synagogue of the Lord. It's a synagogue of Satan. And this church did not get any criticism. So, You know, I'm sure those at Smyrna were probably uh, feeling pretty good about themselves that they didn't get uh, any criticism from Jesus about what they were doing. But on the application for us today, if you're serving God, if you're preaching the truth of God's word, especially in the day and the hour we live in, uh, you're going to have people not like you, Uh, you know, our our channel has been banned before. Uh, my personal accounts I have been stripped of those and had to get new ones. And why? It's because of speaking the unfiltered, unadulterated, uncompromised written word of God. And when you when you do that, you're going to have persecution. You're going to have Tribulation, the enemy is not going to sit back quietly and allow the gospel of Jesus Christ, which brings hope, it brings peace, it brings healing, it brings eternal salvation. I mean, then the list goes on, of all it brings, Satan is not going to sit back and be quiet about that. He is going to fight you tooth and nail, but I'm here to remind you, if you go on to the end of Revelations, it tells you what happens to Satan. He loses and we win. So I'm going to continue to fight. The Bible says no weapon formed against me shall prosper. So it' nothing that the enemy does, the tribulation, persecution, hey, that's fine. Bring it. Because the more I face persecution, the more I face tribulation, I know that I'm stepping on the devil's head and I'm making him mad. I'm right over the target of where I need to be because The enemy's trying to shut me up. And you see, that's what basically was happening with the church in Smyrna. They were doing things right, and they were being patient. They were uh, not complaining. You know, a lot of people, uh, well, I go through persecution, and I go through tribulation, and God ain't done it. And for me, yes, because all you do is run your mouth about what you're going through, and you just won't pity you know, and I know some people may not have liked that, and it may have hurt your toes, and that's all right. But when you go through something, yeah, we need to be able to go one to another uh, as brothers and sisters in Christ, and have believers to help encourage us and pray with us. But when you running around to everybody and their brother, and like nowadays, uh, everybody posts a problem on on social media because everybody on social media that they're friends with turns into Doctor Phil. You know, they know how to give you the right answers of what to do. And 90% of the people or 99% of the people that's on social media, I don't need their advice and don't want their advice. You know, uh, to me, taking advice from uh, people on social media as far as that you don't know if their background, you don't know the, who they are, what what's going on in their life, uh, taking advice from people like that's like, Getting mortgage advice from or home buying advice from a homeless person. You know, they don't know. That's not who I'm going to ask. But when you have somebody come to you and give you correction or give you advice and it's biblically based, it's the word of God, then yeah, that's who we listen to. And you see, that's what was happening with Smyrna. They were being persecuted. Because of their stand for the gospel, their stand for the word of God, and uh, you know, I said some things uh, the other week that made somebody a little upset, and you know, uh, they didn't come back, and you know, I, I hate that, uh, it, you know, for that person, and I, I but I cannot change. The word of God. Just because somebody doesn't like something that's said, it doesn't change the word of God, and that's what's happened most of the time with the church. Is because we want to keep numbers up, and because we want to be popular, and because we want to be liked, and we want to be known, we'll compromise what the word of God says in order to keep a crowd. Well, I came, I come to tell you that that's that's not how I roll and that's not how we do here, you're going to get the Word of God. Trust me, if you're in the Word long enough, I don't care who you are, present company included. I've read some things in this book that I didn't like, but now there's a difference in something I didn't like, but yet I needed to hear. And you see, that's what the Word of God does. It brings truth, and it brings life. Well, it didn't say that it, when it brought truth in life that it would all be a pat you on the back and make you feel like you're laying in a, a bed of a bubble wrap or, or pillows. Sometimes hearing the truth hurts, but if that truth helps me change my direction, change my tra- trajectory, and get me back on the path of Christ, then hurt my feelings. Tell me something that I don't want to hear but need to hear. You see, that's true friends, and that's having true Bible believers around you that will tell you the truth no matter your feelings. So you see that the church in Smyrna, they got no correction. The only instruction he gave was said, be faithful unto death. So irregardless of what you're going through, irregardless if it seems like all hell's falling down around you and things just don't seem to be working, if you're right with God, if you have given him your all, if you're in this word more than you've ever been, if you're praying and having intimate time with the Holy Spirit more than you've ever been, then I can give you those same words. Just be faithful. Continue in the faith because God is working on your behalf. So I didn't preach myself happy, but we're going to go on to the next church. Now, the next church is the church in Pergamos, and this one is a compromising church. And if you look in— uh, That's not for today, is it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's a definite, definite day. That's why I say I think with each of these, you you can see a modern-day example of the church as a whole, and individually as each one of us, we can look at these things. But he said to the compromising church, starting chapter 2, verse 13, he said, again, notice what he starts out with, I know your works, and where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, and you hold fast to my name and did not deny the faith, even in the days in which Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was killed among you, where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you. Because you have those who hold the doctrine of Balaam or doctor of Baal who taught Bala to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit, uh uh-oh, there we go, sexual immorality. That that doesn't knock the few churches out right there. But notice when he's talking to the church of Pergamos, he said, you've kept the faith, and you've been in a place where Satan dwells. Uh, undoubtedly, the neighborhood they was in, well, it was a pretty rough, pretty rough neighborhood. And that's a church. Yeah, and that's the church. That's the church where rough. Satan
1: dwells. Think about that,
0: people. Yeah. And, you know, his criticism to them was, you tolerate immorality, idolatry, and heresies. Now... We're going to sit here and unpack that one for a minute. Now, my Bible says that that's the compromising church. Hmm. Anybody, uh, anybody know of any churches that have compromised in the last few years? Uh, me and Josh were just talking about uh, a church. I forget what the name of that church is. I don't really want to call the guy's name out, but he's well known. Uh, been around for a long time, but they've just come out in support of homosexuality. North Point. North Point. Uh, well, it's, I'll go ahead and say it's Andy Stanley. Uh, they've come out in support of homosexuality. That's a church that is a compromising church. Now, I'm not going to get into that whole subject of uh, homosexuality and is it right and is it wrong? It's wrong. End of discussion, no debate, there's nothing there. Well, I know homosexuals that love God. Well, they don't serve but God because if they served him and truly loved him, they wouldn't live in a lifestyle that's going to send them to hell. Now, I didn't fear we'd get no amens on that one. it get a little <laughs> quiet. I've got some crickets in the background. But you see, churches everywhere today are compromising it may not be on homosexuality it may not be on a, what we as people consider a big issue but what are they compromising on yeah you know it, it, it have you compromised your your prayer time this is individual you know individual people have you compromised your prayer time Uh, you know, if, if God has spoken to you and you right in the middle of that, that sports game, that football game, or that show that you have to watch on TV, uh, and God spoke to you and said, I I need you to go to your bedroom and pray. God, I'll get it in a minute. Compromise. Uh, what have you replaced on Sundays and put in the place of church? You know, uh, I think I may have said this the other week, but and I may, may have been on on a Sunday, but anyway, I'm gonna, I'm going to repeat it. I had a a guy was discussing with me one time about uh, church. We we don't have to go to church to be a Christian, and no, I I, I understand that, uh, you know, but uh, my house that I live in is not my family, but my family like somewhere we can meet. And that's what the building is. But he would say, well, I have church in the park with the animals. I said, well, that's why you squirrely. But you see, people try to come up with all kinds of excuses not to adhere directly to the Word of God. And the Word of God is very clear when he said, forsake not the assembling together of those in like faith. Well, to assemble together means we got to have somewhere to assemble and so you see there's a lot of people that are compromising well i'll go to church next week but I, I i really won't do this this week and i you know we got we got sports this weekend i can't be at church and we've got people that are individually compromising their relationship with god for other things and then wonder why their life's falling apart and then you have churches as a whole like we talked about with north point and there's different churches. There's churches now that, that are preaching you know, this greasy, grimy grace that you can, once you save, that, that God forgives you, Jesus forgives you, and his blood covers past, present, and future sins. And you have a group of people now that are getting saved under false pretense or false knowledge, and they're literally living their life the same way they were before they got saved. And getting frustrated because they're seeing no difference in their life. They're not seeing God do things and move on their behalf. Why? Well, it's because they've not changed their life. You know, I have a big problem with people that say, well, yeah, but but I, I just I love God so much, but but I still want to do this and I still want to do that. You know, if you truly love God, if you truly fall in love with Him, have a relationship with Him. Then those things you don't want to do. There was things I used to do when I wasn't married. That when I got married, I don't do no more. And I'm not saying they're bad things. I'm talking about going out on the weekends, hanging out with the guys, or you know, going to a a, a party or a club and 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 trying to meet women. I don't do that anymore. Why? Because I'm in a relationship with a woman that caused me to say, you know what? I don't want to do that anymore. And it wasn't a struggle. I don't want to do it anymore. It's the same way with our relationship with Jesus. It's the same way when you truly get that intimate relationship with him, the things of the world, I don't want to do them anymore. Why? Because I'd rather spend time with Jesus, the one that has changed my life, the one that has just took me and, like that one song says, makes me want to shout, says it picked me up and turn me around and place my feet on solid ground. I'm going to tell you, I got to slow down or I'm going to have to take up an offering because I didn't preach me happy twice. But we have to look at churches. What is a church preaching? Is a church preaching the word of God, the unadulterated word of God, or are they picking and choosing what they want to preach? Well, if they're picking and choosing, then that's compromise. You know, what are they allowing in their church? that's compromise you know uh I' seen a YouTube video I don't know Josh you might have seen this but it was a church I think it was in California which yeah thats it won't be that surprising now that you know it's in California but nonetheless it was a church it's supposed to be a house of God but at Christmas they had these men young men that had six packs and You know, all ripped and cut.
1: Oh, yeah, I saw that. Yeah. Strip tees on the the uh, church.
0: Yeah, it looked like, uh, what is that Channing Tatum movie where he's a dancer? I don't know. Anyway, uh, y'all Christians shouldn't know exactly what that one is anyway. But anyway, whatever movie that is, he's in. Uh, But these guys were literally in these Santa Claus pants with suspenders and no shirt Dancing to a secular song that had been changed into a Christmas song in the sanctuary of a supposed house of God. Well, we just wonder why God's not moving here, cause He ain't there.
1: Yeah, it's not. It's not only just a a, a religious, you know, type of, um, of compromise. It's a moral compromise. Yeah, They're, it's both. And for this church, I mean, they. they you know, they, they, they proceeded with false te- false teachings, which is evident within some of these churches in, in this day and time. And then, again, when that happens, when that comes into play, you have any act of whatever who God is becomes um, uh, comes compartmentalized and uh, is not truth, and then, and then there becomes the moral compromise. And so that's what you see within this church, um, and then I think right there in Revelations two sixteen is where he says that he will emanate the uh, from the sword of his mouth. Meaning something's going to happen. Yeah, if they don't turn.
0: Right. Yeah, and you know that was something somebody said to to me the other day. They said, well, I I told somebody that that you was new at preaching and you was a little rough on the edges and, you know, over time you'd get sanded down. I'm going to tell you what, what God's built me out of cannot be sanded down. It cannot be smoothed out. I am blunt. I'm in people's face, but I am unapologetic of the Word of God. I know the day and the hour that we're living in, it's not a day and an hour to play patty cake with Jesus. It's time to fall completely head over heels, infatuated in love with God, with Jesus, with this written word, it's time. Because we don't have time to play. We don't have time to compromise. The day of being a Christian that can Say, I love God, but lean over the fence into the world and see how much it you can hold on to, but still be safe. Those days are over. It's time to let go of the fence and get so far in God that you completely lose sight of the fence and you can't get back to the world if you wanted to. And that's why I'm blunt and that's why I get in people's face. It's not so that I can say, oh, listen, who I am. It's, listen, there's heaven to gain, there's a hell to shun. There's, it's, it. You, you only got two options. You can either serve God or you can serve the devil. There's no in-between. People, well, I don't believe in God. Well, that's simple. You serve the devil. Well, I don't believe in the devil. That don't matter. You serve the devil. There's not, I don't know why people think we've got all these choices. And like you said earlier, Josh, it's not just about uh, Christian uh, principle. It's about morals. The morals of this country, the morals of this world have gone to hell. I mean, the things that we see now and that people, especially Christians, are accepting, I, it blows my mind. And everybody, well, each person's entitled, you know, uh, each person has their own set of morals. No. There's one moral law giver. And he's God, and he's God Almighty. He's God all by himself. He don't need your interpretation. He don't need your opinion, and he don't need your help. He is God. He set the standards. He set the morals for man to live by. But since the beginning of time until now, we still having trouble with it. Well, I know what God's Word says, but... Well, I know that the Bible says, but, well, I know God wants me to, but, well, if you keep on doing that, your butt's going to bust hell wide open. Now, slap a amen in the comments on that one. But you see, we got to stop compromising. You know, that one, and it, it's kind of a cliche But you have to, he's either Lord of all or he ain't Lord at all. You can't have him as Lord on Sunday and go run around with the devil on Monday. God is not a sugar daddy that you can just run to to get you all that you won't need when you got time. You got to give him everything. No more compromise. And you say, well, you know, I I go to this church and they compromise. Well, why you go there? I mean, you know, that's my first, why you, well, I go there because my mom and daddy went there, so, well, yeah, but my grandma and my grandpa paid for the stained glass windows on the left-hand side, so, well, my great-grandpa helped, great-great-grandpa helped lay the bricks, so, well, my great-great-great-grandpa and his family give them the land that the church is on, that ain't got nothing to do with you going to heaven. When you when you go to heaven, God's not gonna look at you and say, Well, that church was a compromising church, but since your ancestors donated the land, laid the brick, and put the stained glass windows in, we're gonna let you in. He ain't gonna say that. So we've got to be careful. What are we compromising? And it's the church we're going to. Is it preaching the word of God or has it begun to compromise when it comes to homosexuality, transgenderism, abortion? Uh, you know, those are big ones. I'm going to tell you one of the biggest ones in church, and that's people shacking up. Well, we're not married, but you know, we going to go to church and then we, no, huh? You shacking up, you end sin. You can act like you love God all you want. But I'm gonna tell you what, when the rapture happens, if you shacking up, you're gonna get shaken up because you ain't gonna, you, you won't make it. Why? Because you've compromised. God's word is, he's complicit. He's plain about it. If you're not married and you're sleeping together, it's a sin. Yep. So see, that got the other, I don't know what percentage of people I could probably make my I guess it sounds like I'm trying to make everybody mad tonight, but I'm I'm really not. I'm trying to, to wake you up. And listen, some of you may be sitting here going, well, man, I'm doing good. You had not stepped on my toes yet. Well, praise God. But don't get too excited. We, we got five more churches to go, and we might not get through all of them tonight. I was trying, but the preach done jumped on me. But he told them in that church, when they tolerate immorality, idolatry, and heresies, what was the instruction? Repent. You see, if you find yourself in any of these things, repent. He'll forgive you. Don't worry about man and what man thinks. Be focused on what God thinks. Repent, and He said, "If you repent, there's hidden manna and a stone with a new name." Boy, I like that. That's a promise. There's a hidden st- hidden manna. And a stone with a new name. Well, I, I, I kind of think about that scripture where it says, My God shall supply all of my need according to his riches in glory. That's a promise I have if I serve God. Now, when you go to the church of Thyatira, that's a tongue tangler there. That's a corrupt church. Hmm. Wonder if we got any of those today. Now, starting in chapter 2 with verse 19, look what Jesus started with there. I know your works. I know love, service, faith, and your patience. And as for your works, the last are more than the first. See, he's saying there, you started out slow, but you're doing it to it now. You're doing a lot. But nevertheless, I have a few things against you because you allow that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and to eat things sacrificed to idols. I gave her space or time to repent of her sexual immorality, and she did not. Indeed, I will cast her into the sickbed, and those who commit, uh uh-oh, there's that word, adultery with her, I'll put them in great tribulation unless they repent of their deeds. Now, when he's talking to the church of Thyatira, his commendation to them was hey, you're good at love, at service, which would be acts, your faith, patience is greater than it was at the first. The works you're doing, you're doing more. But here's the problem you tolerate cults of idolatry and immorality. You know, I know of some churches now and I ain't going to call no names, but we, we plug in, so we might as well keep going, that, that people in their music teams and in their church, uh, <laughs> they're swingers. And if any of y'all don't know what swingers is, I definitely don't have time to go into that tonight. But they're in leadership in a church, and they're living in adultery. Well, the way I look at it is if God's not in the church, if God's not in the house there, he's not welcome, and he don't show up, then all you've got is a cult or a country club one. Because if God's not there, then I don't want to be there. You know, I, I could if God didn't show up here on Sunday mornings, I'd just soon sleep in, have my coffee and, and watch some some sports or morning news. But I get up every Sunday morning and come to the house of God. Why? Because I know he's going to meet me there. And when I get there, there's there's like-minded people, people with the same faith and the same passions as me. They're coming at the same time. And when we get together and we begin to exhort the name of the Lord, guess what? He shows up. That's what we want. But you see, there's a lot of churches that are corrupt. You know, I, I could name some ministries that are well-known that I've set in a service before and heard them take up an offering for their well ministry in Haiti. we putting wells in Haiti. Well, I know personally that that ministry ain't doing nothing in Haiti, but they taking up money for Haiti. You see, there's corruption even in the church. Not every church. I, this is not a church bashing session. It may sound a little bit that way, but what I'm saying, just because something's labeled a church, God's give us seven churches to look at that you can judge and say, well, hmm, I don't know if that's a church or not. So, they have corruption in them. There's churches take up money, and you know, there seems like ministries all the time. Every time you turn them on, they'll give you a five minute sermon and then ten minutes trying to get money out of your pocket. Well, look, if God speaks to you and says, give to that ministry, give to that ministry. There's nothing wrong with that. But make sure God's telling you to give. Make sure that that ministry is doing what they say they're going to do. You know, that's one of the big things here. If we raise money or support something, uh, we want pictures. We want things that we can show people to say, look, this is what your money's going to. We've got a member in our church that uh, wanted to raise money to to get some people out of slavery over in uh, overseas in the in the east, and it was going to be you know twelve, thirteen, fourteen hundred dollars. And she was wanting to sell pound cakes, and I think she did a time or two. But when she come to me, I said, you know, if you want to make some pound cakes, that's fine, cause her pound cakes is good. I'm telling you, them things is good. But you shouldn't have to give somebody a cake for them to sew into something to help somebody else come out of slavery and hear about the same God that set you free and it didn't cost you a dime. So we raised that money, I mean, just like that. And we was able to get a whole family out of slavery and get them a small home and a sewing machine so that the mother could make an income to, to put food on the table. Well, we put the pictures up to show our people. Why? Because I want people to know that when you give that money, it's not going in my pocket so that I can eat a filet mignon and have a lobster tail on Friday night with my wife. That, you know, that that's not... That money, if you give it to a specific thing, then every dime that you give to that specific thing, that's where it goes. We don't say, well, you know, that was a... That was a huge offer. Now, we don't want to give all that to, to that ministry. Let's let's just give them percentage. No. If you give your money for a specific thing, then that's where we're going to take it and give it. I don't care how much it is. You know, we could be going to raise some money for a, an orphanage. Oh, we raised $100,000. Well, you know, we need to keep some of that. No, we do not. Uh-uh. If it got raised for that reason, then that's why it's going. But I say all that, that, that's because we don't believe in divvying it up other than what we said, because if you do, now you've got into corruption. So there's a lot of people have done that. And, you know, the other thing I think with corruption is manipulation. You know, and you can even look in your own life at things like that. Have you tried to manipulate people to give, to help you for their own reasons? So, you know, there's that, both sides of that, personal and in the church, we can look at. But then in the instruction to Thyatira, he said, judgment is coming. Keep the faith. Well, that's two-sided. If I keep the faith and correct those things, then the judgment that comes, it's not going to bother me, but it will, that spirit of Jezebel that has got into the church that he's talking to, you see, that judgment will come. But if I repent and do right, when that judgment comes, it doesn't affect me. And that's one of the big things is I think a lot of times in the church, we've begun to underestimate what the judgment of God is. You know, it, 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 some judgment, if we live right, hey, I got nothing to fear. I got nothing to worry about. But if I'm trying to live in the world and and, and I'm trying to mislead God's people, You know, the Bible says that if you cause the least of these to stumble, meaning if you cause a lesser one in the faith to stumble from the word of God and fall back into sin, it would be better for you to have a millstone hung around your neck and cast into the sea. Well, a millstone is a rock about the size of a washing machine. That's a pretty harsh judgment if you cause somebody to sin or cause somebody to stumble. So you don't definitely don't want to be in, involved in any of those things there. Now, going into chapter 3, this is to the church of Sardis. Now, my Bible says this is the dead church. Hey, you Wes, may, I
1: got something on that last yeah.
0: church real quick. Okay, go ahead.
1: I think one of the things also in there, in, in, in that Jezebel spirit and something, is sometimes we have, and, and and understand me whenever I say this, is that you have, sometimes you have, ministers that follow up underneath that Jezebel spirit. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And it, and the church is all centered around them instead of Jesus. Right. Yeah. And, and in those cases, you see that corruption. Yeah. You see that that moral decay. You see the things that they're doing in there, the false teachings taking place because they, they have put themselves above the throne of God.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, that's one of those things where I even question— Some places that say they're a church because the Bible says clearly, Jesus said to his disciples, these signs shall follow them that believe. Well, what are those signs? In my name, they shall cast out demons. They'll heal the sick. You know, he give a list of things that you would see that would tell other people that you were his disciples, that you were his church. Well, the way I understand that, and I'm, I, may be, I may be a little off on this. Uh, this is going to be, a, a, I guess, an opinion, but to me, it, it, it's the scripture. If your church is not seeing signs, miracles, and wonders, if you're not doing the things that Jesus said would be the signs of his disciples, then is that truly a church? We ain't never seen anybody healed in our church. Run. Well, we we ain't never seen uh, nobody cast out devils. Run. You know, we have that power and that authority, and that is the signs that we are the church. That's the signs that we are the disciples of Christ. What is a disciple? It's a follower of. Well, if I'm a follower of, those signs should be following me. So I'll get back off my soapbox on that one. Just a, just a little thought there. But now to the dead church in Sardis, he said these things, this is chapter 3, and we'll start with uh, verse 2. He said, be what? Well, no, let's go back to verse, just start in verse 1. But to the angel of the church in Sardis right, these things says he, who as the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, I know your works. There, he, he knows their works. That you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. Hmm. Boy, that's that's strong. I'm going to tell you, boy, that is not a letter I'd want to get. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found your works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard. Hold fast and repent. Therefore, you will not watch. I will come upon you as a thief in the night, or as a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. You have a few names, even in Sardis. You have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. Now, (laughs) Notice that he said, "You have a name that you are alive, but you are dead." You know, and that's a church, right? Yeah, that's a church. <laughs> Just want to make sure. And yeah, you know, and there again, I see a, a two two fold application on that as an individual person. You know, there's a lot of people that run around. I love Jesus. I love Jesus. I love Jesus, but they they dead. You know, uh, I I've asked this question before. You know, go up to the average churchgoer, the average parishioner. Ask them a quote of scripture out of the Bible. Wonder what percentage can fire one off real quick. Well, well you know, I, I just don't read my Bible. But I love Jesus. No, you don't. And, you know, that's a hard pill to swallow. And I, I was one that had to swallow that at one time. I, I, I did not like to read, and still to this day, unless it's a book that deals with biblical issues and topics, I struggle reading. I don't like to read that stuff. My mind wanders too much, and I'm thinking, man, there's other stuff I could be doing besides sitting here reading something that's pointless, but when I read the Word of God, that this thing comes alive. I mean, this, this thing gives life. It gives revelation. It has knowledge. You know, uh, it has all the answers to what I need. So when I read it, man, I, I come alive. But there's a lot of Christians that don't read it. Well, I just struggle reading. Well, I tell you, nowadays, you can get on the thing called Audible or even just the Bible app itself, and it'll read it for you. So there, that takes that out of the way. But however you've got to do it, you've got to have this word on the inside of you. Because this word is what gives life. This word is what gives you strength and makes you realize the power that Jesus gave each and every one of us. So don't be considered dead, you know, and and, and with churches. I'm telling you, if you we used to have this big thing about. Well, we don't want to steal other members from other churches, and I understand that and because most time, most of the time the people that another church wants to steal is the ones doing the work at that church. No, you don't steal them. They need all the help they can get just like we do. But if it's a church that is not teaching the Word of God, that is teaching doubt and unbelief and, oh, when we finally get to heaven, You know, it's like some of the old hymns they used to sing. Won't we have a time when we get over yonder? Well, yeah, but what about here? According to my Bible, we're supposed to have heaven on earth. We're supposed to to be a light in a dark world. We're supposed to give people that have no hope hope. We're supposed to tell people that's been given a death sentence that we know a man that if they'll accept him, we'll give them life and give it to them eternal you see I, I'm not dead you you can't study the Word of God. you can't pray in which that's another one I will to get to it just, but you can't read his word. you can't pray and not be excited and have a passion on the inside of you about the things of God. you can't it, you know I well I love Jesus. Well, you need to notify the rest of your body because from the outside looking, from from the outside looking in, you you don't look like you have him. You look miserable.
1: Yeah, that church is just merely going through the motions of yeah. their faith. Yeah, you know, without having really feeding their spirit.
0: Yeah, and, you know, and I and I mean, I, I'm guilty as anybody else. I I went through a spell in my life where I just went I went to church. I was just yeah, like you say, going through the motions. And I was spiritually dying, but yet I was showing up at church every week. I was lifting my hands, I was singing every week, but spiritually I was dying, you know. And it was because I just got complacent and lazy. I was going through the stages of these churches, you know, in some some sense. But don't be dead if you're watching this tonight, and you say, you know, I I need to read the Word. I I need to pray. And that was what I was going to get to. That's another way that I I can always tell somebody's walk with God. There's two other ways. But I can tell somebody's walk with God by how they pray. You know, I I can call on somebody. Hey, so do you mind praying? If they stumble and all through it, nine out of ten times, they don't have a relationship with Him because why? They don't know how to communicate. They don't know how to talk to Him. You know, and uh, you know it would it would be the same way. You know, I've been married to my wife for twenty five years. We've been dating for thirty. It would be the same way as if I went to my wife right now and stumbled through something as simple as "What do you want for supper?" or uh, "What time you want to go to bed?" <laughs> yeah. You know, and so, no, it ain't, yeah, yeah, it's the same way. After 30 years, I know how to communicate to my wife, and she knows how to communicate to me. We're not sounding like bumbling idiots trying to communicate. Why? Because over 30 years, we've developed a relationship, or I know her, and she knows me, and it's the same way with God. You have to develop a relationship. It doesn't happen overnight. No, it don't happen overnight. But, after years of of spending time with him, I know how to talk. I know how to come I come down here a lot of times at night to the church or sometimes during the day, and I just get in a sanctuary by myself, and I just walk and worship. and I just tell God, you know, praying with God is not all about my needs and, and, and wants and desires. Sometimes you just need to pray just that's just going to God and say God. I I just want to spend some time with you. I just want to tell you I love you, how much I appreciate you and all you're doing in my life. You see, that keeps you from being dead because you can't be around God and not have life. So with the church of Sardis, i got to hurry. we got two more churches. It says on the commendation, it says, some have kept the faith, meaning not everybody but some, the criticism to me was one of the harshest ones out of all the churches. Was you dead? Uh, you know that that that's a hard harsh criticism. The instruction was repent and strengthen what remains. So that means that that those that are still holding on, the others can repent, and the church as a whole it will strengthen. It will grow back. You know. And then the reward or the promise was is a faithfully honored and clothed in white. What does that mean? Well, if you repent and you get back right and you stay faithful, then you will be clothed in white, which is righteousness, which is the glory of God. So those are things that we, we would definitely want to look at. And then to the Church of Philadelphia, the title of this one, my Bible says, is the Faithful Church. And starting chapter 3, verse 7, it says, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things says he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the keys of David, he who opens and no one shuts, and shuts and no one opens. He says, I know your works. I have set before you an open door, and no one can shut it. You have a little strength. And have kept my word and have not denied my name. Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan. There he's talking about the, the Jews Jews again and the, the Sadducees and Pharisees more or less. Who say they are Jews and are not but lie indeed. I will make them come and worship before your feet and to know that I have loved you. Because you've kept my commandment to preserve... I also will keep you from that hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast to what you have that no one may take your crown. Now, he he's saying here that, uh, you know, and on our discussion last week, uh, I think later on, a few days later, there's some people got into argument over uh, pre-trib and post-trib, mid-trib, all that. And I was reading some of that, and, and there was one of the guys had commented and said that the, the wrath of God is not the judgment of God, and that some along those lines about we, that they wouldn't go be the wrath like we think it is. But verse 10, he says that I will also keep you from hour of trial, which shall come upon the whole world. To test those who dwell on the earth. We're not gonna be here. We're gone. We're gonna be in heaven in glory. Marriage Supper of the Lamb, we're gonna be kicked back in a feast while that hour is going on. So if you stay faithful, God is saying you will escape the hour that's coming. And I think anybody with one eye and a half sense knows that this world, whether you're saved or you're a sinner, whatever. That Everybody knows that this world cannot keep going on the trajectory that we're going now. Lawlessness is abounding. Things are just, it's like you wake up every day and you think, well, it can't get any worse than it was yesterday. And they'll come out with some stupid law, some stupid idea, and think that it's great. And you got this sect of people that jump all over it and praise it when anybody with a little common sense and education knows that it don't work. But we keep seeing that coming. The world can't keep going like it's going. And God is saying that, like with this church, if you're faithful, you're not going to have to see that hour. You will escape that hour. And he says to that church, the commendation is that you preserve and keep the faith and you keep the word of Christ and honor his name. Well, that should be the church today. And there are churches out there today that have preserved the faith. What does that? That means we've preached the word of God even when it was not popular. You know, uh, I've seen these memes on social media before, and it shows four or five people over here at a church, and it says this church preaches the truth. Then it'll show this church is packed out with people waiting on the outside, and it says compromised. Well, that's why. People will go somewhere where they are told that they can live in sin. Wherever I can go and be comfortable in my sin, that's where I want to go. I don't want to go somewhere where uh, I'm told that I need to stop doing this and I can't do that because it's a sin. But if I stop doing that, here's the things that God will bless me with. You see, people don't want to hear that because when you have to get out of sin, it's not comfortable. You know, Paul said, that he had to crucify his flesh daily. God, you know, that's that's. It didn't say God would crucify the flesh. It it, it didn't say that that he would give you, uh, you know, uh, uh, the 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 code to crucify. He said, no, I have to crucify my flesh daily. Well, to crucify indicates there's going to be some discomfort. There may be some pain involved. And it's not just going to be this smooth transition. You have to choose every day to crucify your flesh, the thoughts that come in your mind, the things that your flesh says it wants to do, you have to crucify those things and do what the word of God says. And he says that, you know, if you keep the faith and if you honor and be instant, you know, that that you will escape that hour. Now, the criticism to Philadelphia is there was only two churches, Smyrna and then Philadelphia, that got no criticism. So out of seven churches, only two were doing it right. But then his instruction for them was the same of keep the faith. In other words, keep doing what you're doing. Keep trusting my word and keep winning the lost and bringing the lost into the house of God. And then their reward was a place in God's presence, Oh, I tell you what, that's that's a reward enough. You you can have it all. You can take the riches of the world. You can take it all and go shove it somewhere. You just give me the reward of God's presence, and that's all I need. But he says a place in God's presence, a new name, and the new Jerusalem. What does that mean? Well, you see, if you go back and watch last week, before everything gets bad, we're getting snatched out of here. Yeah, Well, I don't believe pre-trib, I don't care, you can stay, I'm not, I'm gone. Pre-trib, first loadout. And when I get to heaven, after the marriage supper of the Lamb, say I'm going to be in God's presence. And then I get a new name that's written down in glory. And when we come back and Jesus establishes his throne here on the earth to rule and reign for a thousand years, that new Jerusalem ascends, Hey, guess what? We're coming back with him. We're going to be there. You see, that's a promise that the church of Philadelphia has. So that should excite you. Now, the last church, and I promise you we're going to quit. This is one I think that we can we can see some similarities to in today's society. But starting in verse 14, it says, And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things says amen the faithful and true witness, the beginning of creation. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish that you were cold or hot. So then, because you're lukewarm and neither cold or hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth, because you say I'm rich and you've become wealthy and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel to you to buy from me gold that's refined in fire, that you may be rich, white garments that you may be clothed, and that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with the eye that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him, and he with me. Now, this church was lukewarm. Now, the church that was dead seemed like that. That means they completely cold. Because if you de- if you're dead, if you dead, you cold. So it, it, they were cold, but they got bragged on about a few things. But God's saying that these people, I, I, lukewarm, that's another term or way of saying a fence rider. Somebody wants to ride that fence, meaning I'm going to play with the world, but I still want to love God. You know, they, the, the church of Laodicea got no commendation. He didn't brag on them about nothing. His criticism is they're indifferent. What does that mean? Well, it's hard to tell. Are you a Christian? Or are you a sinner? You know, the people that we come to church on Sundays and they'll sling in tears and and snot and they'll run up and down and and cry. And, oh, I love Jesus. And they jump and bounce like they know how to worship and they amen through the service. And then Monday through Friday or Saturday, they live like hell and live for the devil. You know, I, I've, I've heard people brung up before and somebody say somebody's name. And they oh they a Christian oh oh they a preacher oh oh they a prophet oh they an evangelist why because they didn't live that lifestyle in front of somebody because that somebody seen them and they can they they put them into the the sect of the world because of what how they lived so they're lukewarm and God said I'd rather you be cold He said what God said I could do more with you. And could have more compassion on you if you're just cold than if you're lukewarm. Because another way I, I like to look at lukewarm is somebody that's self deceived. If somebody's deceived, you can go to that person and through the Word of God and through prayer and compassion, you can get them to see deception. But when somebody's self deceived, you can't because they know that what they think the conclusions that they've come to is they're right. You can't tell me I'm wrong. I know I'm right. And a lot of you may know people like that. But he said that if you lukewarm, I'm going to spew you out of my, meaning the way you live your life, if you live in your life for Jesus on Sunday and then for the devil Monday through Saturday, God says, you make me so sick that I want to throw up. That's putting it blunt. Now, somebody, well, I can't believe you said throw up. Well, that's what he's saying. I'll vomit you out of my mouth. You make him sick. I don't want to make God sick. I don't want to be a disappointment to him. I want God to be pleased with me, and when I get the glory, He'll look at me and say those words that I cannot wait to hear. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into thy inheritance. Oh, boy, I'm telling you, the inheritance we get when we get to heaven, people around on the earth has no clue to the riches and the inheritance that we're going to get when we are face-to-face with our Lord and Savior. But his instruction to that church was to be zealous and repent. And he said, look, you need to get serious about me. You need to get serious about the Word of God. It's time to quit playing church. It's time to quit acting like a church and start being the church. And through your actions, people see me and know that you are mine. And if you do that and repent, he said, Their promise, their reward was, you get to share Christ's throne. So you see, even people that are lukewarm, if they'll repent, they're still going to get to share Christ's throne. They're still going to be in glory when it's all said and done. And I think when you look at this, you can see in your own life where there's been times you have gotten lukewarm about things. You may look at your life right now and say, you know, I... After listening, I, I might be lukewarm. I need to fix something. That's where God's so awesome. His mercy and his grace, which the Bible says is new every morning. You can't use it, uh, overuse it. You can't underuse it. Well, you can't underuse it. I think we're all probably a little guilty of that. But you can't use it up and there not be anymore. It's new every morning. So if you mess it up, hey, his mercy and grace is there. Repent. That means turn away. Fall in love with God all over again, you know, and, and become intimate with him. Get in his word. Spend time praying with him, and he'll begin to bring things to life, and you'll feel his strength and that, that passion come inside of you. And when you do, then you know you're hot, and you know you're on the right track. And when you're hot, it says watch and be ready because the time is coming very soon when that trumpet's going to sound. And it says the dead in Christ shall rise first. And then those that remain, we're going out of here and you want to be in that group that's going out. So I hope something that we've shared tonight has blessed you. Uh, again, I apologize for going so long, but that was seven churches and the, uh, Holy Ghost did get on me. I'm going to preach a little bit, so it would be all right. But I thank each and every one of you for staying on here, hanging with it. Listen, like and share this on your social media. It, it's your way of helping us spread the gospel of Jesus Christ into all the parts of the world through technology. And all you got to do is like it and share it. When you get to heaven, you may be surprised at people that come up to you and say, thank you for sharing the gospel. And you be like, what, what did I do? Well, you shared a message online and I watched it and the Holy Spirit come on me and convicted me and I gave my life to Christ. And because of that, I get to spend eternity in heaven. It's as simple as clicking a button. Hey guys, we love you. We pray God's blessing and his favor upon you. And remember, nobody loves you more than Jesus. We'll see you next Wednesday night.